Jesus, uh, we are prone to wander, we are prone to lose our way, and yet you pursue and you pursue and you pursue, and I pray that this morning we would have a sense uh, of that pursuit of us, that we would feel again how much you love us, how much you invite us, specifically by name, into what you're up to. pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jesse Rice. I'm part of the youth ministry staff here at First Press Bellevue. Woo is right. Thank you, Dana. I will take that woo. Um, welcome. If you are, was it Katie? Katie, I'm so sorry. Dana, I gave, okay. Katie Raby, awesome. Plus, you just got your name on television. Uh, welcome to those of you joining us online in your jammies. Great call. As usual, thank you for being here this morning to be with us. Welcome, uh, guests, as well. I'm excited that you're here because I, I really believe that God has something specifically with your name on it this morning. Like, He actually has something specifically for you, not just us, though it's for us as well, but for you and so it's not a mistake that you're here even if you've been dragged here by sort of a well-meaning relative or friend it's not a mistake uh, I'm excited because I think that the person that we're going to be talking about is somebody each one of us can relate to in some way in some way we can relate to this guy in fact when when church folks are kind of asked uh, you know what disciple do you sort of uh, resemble the most uh, most church folk kind of respond with the same answer they keep coming up with this guy's name because just like us he would believe one minute, and then he would doubt the next. He'd be faithful one day, and then he was like, beeline it out of there the next, right? Just like us, he wanted a better, more satisfying life and was involved in good things, but just like us, he often missed the point of life altogether, busying himself with religious duties instead of intimacy with God and relational management rather than intimacy with others. So today we're starting this new series on the life of Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' 12 original disciples, the walking on water, at least for a little while, Peter. The Peter who denied Jesus three times, even though he said he'd never deny him. The Peter on whom Jesus himself said he would build his church. Peter was his Greek name, and it meant rock. All right? Peter means rock. And kind of with, you know, Peter's ups and downs, that's kind of where we get the series title, Rocky Road. Isn't that clever? <laughs> yeah, see? It's also a fabulous ice cream, you know, so if you want to <laughs> kind of think of it that way. But Peter was his Greek name. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Peter as a lens by which to see with fresh eyes how good God is and just how big this adventure is that he invites each and every one of us uniquely into. And I believe that if we're willing to look and listen, we will discover those things. So to kick off the series today, we're going to look at a little story from Peter's life. But I want to start by asking you a question. Does anybody here remember the Evite? The Evite, yeah, right? Um, this was big, especially like, you know, six or eight years ago or something like that. Evite, you might, is that Italian? Is that Eviti? I don't know what you saw on there. Um, Evite was this electronic invitation sort of platform. And uh, when I was working with young adults in California, this was especially big at the time. And this was so great because um, a lot of my young adult friends, myself included, um, didn't really feel that comfortable talking to other people. And so to invite them to your event, you could just send them an Evite. And then, you know, they could just decide yes or no sort of thing. And I would get Evites literally like every other day from some event that someone in our ministry was hosting. Not because I was popular, just because, again, we didn't like talking to each other. So this was kind of a good way to communicate. 
All right? Now, what's interesting about this is you'd get something, and it would be sort of, it was like for birthday parties or, um, you know, weddings, probably for funerals. Somebody did that. I don't know what it was. But um, it would be for a little bit of everything, right? So you'd get this Evite in your email inbox, and it would say something like this. Stacy has invited you to the event called, I'm moving my couch on Thursday night. Can anyone help? <laughs> right? It was that silly at times of what you would get. And for a second, I would be flattered by this. I actually would, because I'm kind of like that. I'm sort of narcissistic and into myself. So I would think, wow, this is really amazing that Stacy thinks you know, so highly of me that she has invited, her, invited me into her life, into her, into her home, to help her accomplish this dream. <laughs> this dream of moving her couch. And that's me. It's for, and then you look to the left of the Evite, and you see that Stacy has invited 386 other people. <laughs> and then you know... That is not about you. It's about getting that couch moved, right? Oh, Stacy. But fortunately, fortunately, not her real name. Fortunately, I had options when it came to how I could respond to Stacy, right? There were three options, in fact. I could say yes, as in yes, Stacy. That sounds so important. I'm going to move everything about my life to help you move your silly couch. There's no, right? As in no, Stacy. That's the worst invitation I've ever heard. And in fact, while you're moving your couch, I hope it drops on your foot. <laughs> Thanks a lot for your invitation. But of course, I don't want to hurt Stacy's feelings, and we all know it's better not to tell each other the truth, right? So that's sarcasm. So just go ahead and don't write that down. So, you know, no is not really an option for me, but there's this great third option. Do you remember what the third option was? Maybe. 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 The best option that 21st century American Christians have. Maybe. Oh, I'd love to, but let me check my calendar. You know, let's see what I got going. Let's see what's on TV. Let's see how I'm feeling. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yes, no, uh, maybe, right? Three ways of responding to an invitation. And, and what's interesting is this morning we are looking at an invitation story. The story from Peter's life that we're looking at is an invitation story, right? And it's going to be interesting the way that Peter responds. It's a little bit surprising. But it's going to show us more of how good God is, and how big is the adventure that he invites us into. So we catch up with this story in Luke chapter 5, which you just heard Scott read. Jesus has begun his public ministry, and crowds are starting to grow. His reputation is building. More and more people are showing up. Word is traveling fast. And when we join him, he's, he's kind of on the shore of, of Lake Gennesaret, and we find that he is surrounded by a crowd of people, all pressing in on him, all wanting to hear what he has to say, uh, many of them suspecting, hey, this guy might be something more than just another good teacher. Have you ever had that experience of kind of coming upon a crowd but not really knowing why they're gathered there? It's kind of a, always a strange thing. My wife and I used to live in Portland, and uh, we loved to go on walks. And one day we were on a walk in kind of a really forested uh, part of the, this park, and we suddenly came upon 50 people on bicycles. Right? They were just all together, kind of all looked about the same age, kind of 20-somethings. They were all on bicycles. I thought, well, that's, you know, that's whatever. We kept walking, and that's when we came upon um, a gentleman in a gray suit uh, with a big beard and a top hat sealed inside of a giant bubble. We thought, oh, that's, that's a little curious. Yeah, I wonder if that has anything to do with that. And we kept walking a little bit more, and then there was a film crew. And that was interesting. It was a warm day. Things were warming up. So some of the people on bicycles were kind of, you know, starting to take off shirts, take off their sweatshirts, get a little more comfortable. Uh, and then someone on a bullhorn shouted some command. And all of a sudden, the 50 people on bicycles uh, removed not just a little bit of their clothing, but all of their clothing. 
Yeah. Exactly. So now there's 50 naked bicyclists, and there's a guy in a bubble with a top hat, and there's a film crew kind of covering this whole thing. You're wondering, what? what? And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're like, it's Portland. <laughs> right? Of course. It's Portland. Of course you're going to come upon 50 naked bicyclists with a film crew somewhere inside. It's poor. But no, this was even strange for Portland. But this, as we kind of, the, the crowd just grew and grew, especially when the clothes came off, the crowd just kind of swarmed. It just kind of swarmed and went, what is going on? We came to find out that it was a music video being filmed for this band who is very comfortable having 50 naked bicyclists as part of their music video. All right? So that was the end result. But this crowd just built and built. What is going on? And that's a sense of what we get here. This crowd is building and leaning in and pressing into Jesus. What is this guy talking about? This is exciting. This might actually mean something to us. This might have impact on us. What is going on? Many of us come to this gathering, or many of us are at home watching this online or watching the podcast, and we're in a place of sort of that coming, I got to see something. I, I need to find something here that matters to me. In fact, this sense of anticipation, I would, I would better describe for many of us as a sense of desperation. We are here in this place, and, and we are feeling, God, if you don't show up, like literally, if you don't show up, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Like if you don't show up in this relationship, I don't know how that's going to work out. If you don't show up in this thing about work, about school, I, some of us are feeling like, I'm not even sure you exist anymore. Like we haven't had that kind of intimacy for so long. Like if you don't show yourself, we are like that crowd. We're leaning in. We've heard something about Jesus. We've heard something about Jesus. Maybe we've gotten a little taste of him. But we're still desperate for more. We're leaning in. Well, one of the people in this crowd is this guy, Peter, the guy that we're talking about. Here's what we know about Peter before Jesus gets to him. Not much. All right? Not much. We don't know a lot about Peter before Jesus gets to him. But he's a fisherman, so there's a few things that we can kind of build in there. Many biblical scholars kind of believe that back in the first century, if you were male especially, you usually had one of three options. One of three possibilities as you're going through life. One is that you go to school for a season, maybe until like 12 or 13, and then you take on your father's trade, whatever that was. So obviously Peter's dad was a fisherman. School, uh, school and then more school was kind of this other option. You could kind of go on and learn some more things and teach some things and maybe be part of sort of middle management crowd, right? Um, the third option was sort of school more school, then you get attached to a rabbi, a teacher, who would disciple you, who would build into you, who would show you everything that he knows, everything that he can do, and you would become more like that teacher. Well, Peter is a fisherman. So what option did he end up with? Right? He's not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? Peter. He ended up in fishing. Peter was not the type of person a rabbi would be interested in. In fact, rabbis didn't go looking for disciples. Disciples went looking for their rabbi. But here is this Jesus coming after this fisherman. We also know that Peter was probably kind of in his late teens around that sort of time period. So it wasn't like he had accomplished a whole lot with his life. Remember back then there was no adolescence, right? It was just kind of like you were a boy, you were a girl, and then you sort of had the ceremony, and you were a man, you were a woman. You were expected to take on those responsibilities. No adolescence. Some of your parents are like, that would be awesome. <laughs> Some of you adolescents are like, that would be awesome. To not have to do this. To not have to put up with my parents. No. So he's kind of undereducated. He's underqualified. He's underage. Here's what else we know about Peter. He's not a very good fisherman. 
I had missed this, but my friend Josh Gritter, who's also on staff with us, pointed this out. Every time Peter catches fish, Jesus is there. Otherwise, he doesn't catch fish. <laughs> He's a terrible fisherman. <coughs> Sorry about your life choice, bud. You're a terrible fisherman, right? He's not only undereducated, he's not only underage, he's not only underqualified, he's not even good at his job. Do you ever feel kind of that sense of being underqualified for what God might have for you? Do you ever feel that sense of like, I'm not worthy. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't have, maybe if I had this together a little bit more, then God could use me. Then God could do something with me. I feel that a lot. Maybe you do too. And that's the person that Jesus comes to. Here's what's interesting, is they take Jesus out. They say, yeah, we'll take you out so you can kind of speak a little bit more easily to these crowds. They take Jesus out. Jesus finishes up speaking. Then he turns to Peter and he says, uh, go out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Deep water. Deep water is where the fishing happened at night, not during the day. During the day, fishermen would drag their nets near the shore to catch the fish. Nobody was dropping their nets out in deep water during the day. That would be stupid. But Jesus says, go out into deep water and drop your nets. Does it ever annoy you that Jesus seems to use like impossible circumstances to make a point? I don't like that about him, <laughs> if I'm being honest. You know? It's like, this is, a, this is never going to work out. This will never. And God does something in that. Either changes our heart or changes the situation. Who knows what? But Peter's response, I think, is kind of like what my response would be. Like, Master, we've worked hard all night. All night, and we haven't caught anything. We've, in this room, worked really, really hard. We're working really, really hard to put life together, to make sense of things, to become more like him, to do these things, to become better. We're working hard. And we kind of feel like, Peter, God, uh, Jesus, we, we work hard. But we haven't caught anything. Many of us are there in that space this morning. We can imagine Peter's frustration. But Peter says this, but because you say so, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Just like you, Peter has a sense that Jesus is special. There's something about him. This is not his first encounter. He would have heard te Jesus teaching at some point. He would have heard the rumors about his miracles, different things that he's done. He knows this, there's something going on here. So, okay, I'll, I'll take a risk. And following Jesus always, always includes an element of risk. Anything worth doing involves an element of risk. And you may have a sense, even today, in this space, that God is asking you to risk something, a relationship, an opportunity. Maybe it's risking staying right where you're at. For him, with him. But worse, often following Jesus includes the possibility of being humiliated or misunderstood. Which I got to believe that is, Peter's kind of rolling out there. His fishing buddy is like, what a, I mean, he's terrible, I know. But this is even beyond Peter. <laughs> like, there's no fish out there. And you can imagine kind of Peter going, and in his mind, he's thinking, so what's Jesus? Oh, Jesus is a carpenter, so he's not a fisherman at all, is he? And he's, but he's, no, but I guess he knows whatever to do. And so he doesn't say those things, but, but these underqualified, undereducated, undersuccessful fishermen let down their nets into deep water in the middle of the day where fish are never found, and bam, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Their nets start filling with so many fish that they got a call to their buddies on the shore. Come help us. We're drowning in this stuff. It's a miracle. They're shocked. They just saw 50 people take off their clothes on bicycles. It's that kind of, it's like, what? It's amazing. Now, what are Peter's nets full of? 
Okay, we're going to have to start over. My name is Jesse Rice, and I'm part of the youth <laughs> ministry. Peter's nets are full of fish, Katie. Thank you very much. They're full of fish. Now, Peter is a what? A fisherman. So, is it a good thing that he has nets full of fish? Yes, this is awesome. You got to think that Peter's like, this is, I don't have, I can take the next three days off. I got all this fish. This is going to be fantastic. This is like the mother load. I can just capitalize on this, maybe go public at some point. People are going to buy, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> the stuff in the net is not bad. The stuff in our nets is often not bad. We got a lot of good things in our nets, right? We have good relationships. We have good opportunities, good obligations, good response. Like we've got good things in our nets. That's, that's not the problem. Peter's nets are full of good things, and they are a symbol of what's coming next. Like, you've gotten a taste of, of good stuff, of how I've provided. That's nothing. I want more for you. Not just more stuff, not just more fish. I want more. Peter, who is completely in shock, embraces Jesus. He says, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, if you need anything, I'll be right here. Just come find me. I'll be fishing. This is great. Obviously, this is my calling. Look how good I am. No, that's not what Peter says. Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm not, I'm a sinful man. Why does he say that instead of, I think thank you would have been better. Wouldn't, wow, that's a cool trick, Jesus, have been a more appropriate response. But Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And that's because this is an aha moment for, for Peter. It's like, aha. This, this invitation is, yeah, it's for all those people. It's a miracle for all those people. This is, this is for me. I'm a fisherman. He just did this thing to invite me. I love this about Jesus, that his call, his invitation to each one of us is completely personalized. We can go too far the wrong way because it's a very individualistic country that we live in. But nevertheless, Jesus makes his call, his invitation, deeply personal. Deeply personal. It is custom made for you. And Peter senses this. And he's like, all of a sudden, like, I think I get it. And I know that I'm not worthy of this. So you need to just, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. But Jesus responds in another way that turns the table. And he says to Simon, to Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. This is just symbolic of what I'm going to be having you doing. It's going to be so much bigger than you ever thought. It's going to be so much better. It's going to have so much more impact. You're not just going to be a tradesman. You are actually going to start a movement that for the next 2,000 years, plus, 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 it's going to revolutionize the world. You, fisherman Peter, you who couldn't make the cut, Peter, you who didn't think you had anything to offer, Peter. So don't be afraid of what others think. Don't be afraid of those opportunities you feel you lack. Don't be afraid of your lack of finances. Don't be afraid of... Jesus says, don't be afraid. Come follow me. I want to show you things even bigger than you can imagine. I recently heard the story of Bob, and this is a true story, Bob is a lawyer and a very good lawyer, and he had the opportunity to uh, get involved uh, in a particular country in Africa and uh, kind of served there and became so trusted that he sort of moved him to be the U.S. ambassador to this particular country. And Bob uh, just began to see more and more of, of certain injustices that were going on, and he found about a particular branch of injustice where witch doctors in this particular area would find little boys and would basically hack them up because there were supposed magic powers in either the head or the private parts, that kind of stuff. This is awful, awful stuff, right? So, finds out about this witch doctor who took this little kid that he called Charlie out to a field and cut off his private parts, left him for dead. 
Horrible. Just left him for dead. But he didn't die. He didn't die. In fact, somehow he lived, and somehow he found some help, and somehow this all came to Bob's attention. And he wanted to try this case for the first time ever, and everybody was afraid. You don't put witch doctors on the stand, right? Because all the other witch doctors come around, and nobody in that area wanted to try it. But, but somehow he found some judge, some scrappy little judge, who said, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm in. I'll do this. Let's go after this guy. So Charlie has made it. He's, making, he's got to testify in this thing in front of this guy unbelievable courage of this boy testifies basically this guy gets convicted he goes to jail unbelievable starts shifting all kinds of things around well bob throws a party of course for charlie brings him over to the u.s and uh in bob's neighborhood they have this unbelievable parade each year that they just the homeowners throw together Right? They just make a bunch of little handmade floats and different things, and nobody gets to watch. Everybody has to participate. So they had this big parade, and this year after he met Charlie, Charlie was the master of ceremonies. So he's up in this thing, you know, kind of, he's leading the charge. It's this unbelievable redemption happening. They do this cool thing where they've got a bunch of helium balloons, and so they tie 100 to Charlie because they want to see, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we could get Charlie off the ground? That's just how Bob thinks. He's sort of a strange guy. He's got a lot of money. Um, but he, he does this thing. 100 doesn't do it. 200 doesn't do it. They get up to 500, not budging the guy up. He's just a little kid. He's like four feet tall. Not getting him up. 750, finally at 1,000 balloons, Charlie starts lifting off the ground. And they get this incredible, there's this incredible picture that I wish I had with me of Charlie. It looks like something from Up, right? Because there's little tiny Charlie and there's all these balloons and there's this little kid who had no hope, no future, just a little bit off the ground. They had to grab him to make sure he wasn't going to get away. That was kind of how that happened. But here's what's interesting about Bob is that Bob also thought, you know, there's something about that witch doctor. That Jesus has justice and redemption for Charlie. And in fact, uh, Bob got connected to a plastic surgeon who actually literally put Charlie back together. But Bob had this sense that Jesus is, is bigger than just that kind of redemption, although that's incredible. That's incredible. That's incredible. But what about that witch doctor? Well, this witch doctor is locked up back home in this unbelievable maximum security place designed for 300 men. It has 3,000 men. There's one entrance. It's four feet tall. You've got to go in, and you're probably not going to come back out. Like, it's a terrifying, scary place. But he decides to take a risk. He decides that this Jesus, there's something about him. I just got to go. I got to follow through with it. He meets with this witch doctor. He says as soon as the witch doctor comes in, he gets down on one knee. And he says... I don't know how to say this, but I, I need forgiveness. Later that day, that witch doctor becomes a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And all kinds of things begin to happen in that prison as a result. This is a true story. This is going on right now. Bob took these little bitty risks based on the skill set that he had, based on the opportunities that he had, based on just who he was. He said yes, and these unbelievable things started happening. Now, obviously, that's the extreme. Jesus is constantly at work in the very small details of our lives as well. But here's what he says to you and to me. I've got more for you than you even want for yourself. I have more. So how will you answer? It's kind of yes, no, or maybe. That's your only options. No seems a little dumb at this point. Gosh, it sounds great, Jesus, the life you've invited me into. It, just, it means that I don't have to just be a fisherman for the rest of my life. I don't just have to go through the motions. I don't have to just try to make life comfortable. And get, you've got adventure and huge things. And There's maybe, maybe, Jesus, you know, let me check my calendar. Let's see how it's going. Let me get back to you. Let's, when I have a little bit more money, when I kind of get some success under my belt, when I have a family, when I have kids, when I get out of high school, when I get out of college, that's when I'll really, maybe it's kind of a silly excuse too. 
If we're really honest with ourselves, if, we can able, if we're able to kind of look at what's really in our hearts of how desperate we're actually feeling, really the only appropriate response is yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes. A little bit further on in Peter's story, after you've seen more of what Jesus is up to, and the crowds have built and built and built, Jesus kind of comes to this point and he says, if you want real life, the kind of life I'm offering, you're going to have to risk everything. In fact, you're probably going to lose everything. And the crowds think, ah, I had you until that part. And they kind of disperse. And Jesus turns to Peter and he's like, what about you? Are you going to stick around? And Peter's response, I love it, kind of keeps coming back to me. Jesus, to whom else will I go? You got the words of eternal life. I don't, this is hard. This is hard life. Peter ends up getting beaten up and imprisoned and eventually martyred. This is hard. But man, the stuff that I get to see, the life that I get to experience, the joy, the sense of freedom, the impact. Do you understand that we're in church this morning because of, largely because of Peter's yes. He was the one on whom Jesus said he would build his church. If Peter had said no, I don't know. Who knows? He probably would have found somebody else, maybe. But Peter had that opportunity to be that foundation. So what will we say? Yes, no, maybe. Seems like only one answer makes sense. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as best we can, and, and even though we've said it many times before, we say again, yes. Um, and we say yes to um, a general invitation that you have given each and every one of us, that you have given to us as a body of believers to join you in what you're doing. We also say yes to this very personalized, very intimate, you drawing near to us, you custom, uh, customizing a way of inviting us in to something that is not impersonal, to something that is not silly like moving a couch, but something that is changing the world. Where we find ourselves changing and finding freedom from the things that hold us down and freedom to laugh more and to cry with others more and to be more ourselves. So God, as best we can, we say yes to that again this morning. We thank you that you are the rabbi, the teacher who pursues us that we don't have to prove anything, but you come after us right in the middle of our circumstances, right in the middle of a world. Say, come, follow me. Thanks, Jesus. Amen.